What's up, everybody? Welcome back inside the Section 925 Pod Center. I'm your host, Connor Buesta. I'm here with Alex Feinberg. Alex, what's up? How you doing, Connor? Yeah, I mean, this is your first stop on the book tour. Are, are, are you prepared for the long, arduous process of traversing across America, promoting your new book? Uh, I think so. I, I, I really enjoy talking about it. You know, I, you know for those unfamiliar, um, releasing a book on Monday, November 25th, on uh, 10, easy win- 10 Easy Wins for Easier Fat Loss. Uh, basically, to give a rundown of everything that I learned during my athletic career and following. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there uh, surrounding fitness, getting in shape, enjoying your diet, enjoying your training plan. Um, and a lot of people, you know, they don't have the results that they want because they're listening to mainstream advice. And so, you know, I'm just enthusiastic about the opportunity to share my story with other people. If they can learn from it, great. Um, but, you know, I'm having a blast so far. So we're recording this on Sunday the 24th. This is the eve of the, the book drop or the launch, if you will. That's pretty exciting. And it's your first book? Yeah, it's my first book. Uh, you know, a little bit of a brain dump. It's not, not too long. You know, under 20 pages, really all of the shortcuts that I realistically accidentally stumbled across in many ways to get to you know below 4% body fat hydrostatically, um, which was a level that I never even targeted when I was a college athlete or professional athlete. I didn't think it was possible. Uh, but you know I've kind of stumbled across uh, some pretty interesting hacks uh, that allow me to maintain what is commonly perceived to be an unsustainably low level of body fat without cutting calories. You know, I'm doing the opposite of what bodybuilders and what um, a lot of uh, nutritionists or trainers would tell you to do uh, if you said, hey, I want to be 4% body fat, I want to have abs. I'm literally doing the opposite of a lot of what they're saying. Yeah, and uh, you know, we've known each other for quite a while now, and you've always been a very analytical person that likes to study things in, in great detail. So it's kind of ironic to me that you studied, um, and we'll talk more about your athletic history and your background there, but you studied the art of nutrition and the art of uh, exercise to maximize your performance and become a, a professional athlete to in great detail over many, many years. And the product of that is a 20-page book that simplifies um, that process. So kind of going through that whole uh, study of, of those two topics, uh, perform, or weight training and, 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 and um, food nutrition, you became someone that wanted to get back to the basics and your, your advice is very basic. Is that what, is that what you would say? Yeah, I think so. You know, I, uh, you know, when I was younger, you wanted to get stronger, wanted to get faster to compete at a higher level. You, there's a lot of complicated books out there about how to do that. There's a lot of complicated books out there. A lot of them have a lot of information. Uh, realistically, the market is flooded with complex books with uh, a ton of, uh, citations. Um, and realistically, the reason why people don't read them is because they're too long. They, they don't make it simple enough for anyone to implement in their actual life. You know, very few people 
want to count calories. Very few people want to weigh their food. Very few people want to do the things that nutritionists, uh, registered dietitians, trainers tell them to do, right? Even doctors tell them to do. And the response by most trainers, most registered dietitians, most doctors is, well, I'm going to tell the people the same thing and then just get mad at them when they don't listen to me. But, you know, I come from a business background now where, you know, my day job, I lead business development at a cryptocurrency exchange. Uh, that's a very sales oriented job. And you realize when you have a corporate sales role that if somebody's not listening to your message, that's your fault. It's actually not the person on the other end who's not buying from you. It's your fault for not being able to sell it to them. So if people, knowledgeable people, are putting content out there that's true but not being listened to, then realistically they're not gonna have an impact on anybody unless they figure out a way to reformat their message. And and my message, you know, is really more oriented around understanding your own body, right? A lot of people don't understand their own body, but once they become in tune with it, they'll realize, I think, that your bodily signals will be able to to guide you in a much more accurate direction than any book or external trainer could guide you. Because, or Fitbit. Or Fitbit, right? Because all of these devices are just, they take average data. So they assume that you're the average person, but I can guarantee you that nobody's the average person, right? So you will deviate from the average person. Um, what all of these, uh, you know, science-based, you know, quote-unquote science-based programs will do is they'll say, okay, so for the average person of this height, this exercise level, this muscle mass, this body fat, um, you know, you need the, this many calories, this kind of macros, these, uh, you know, this, this much protein, this much carbs, this much fat. Um, and if you want to gain weight, you should eat more than that. And if you want to lose weight, you should eat less than that. And it's like, all right, I mean, yeah, that's broadly true. But what kind of adherence are, are you going to have to that? Right. Very few people are actually tracking their calories all the time. And realistically, your body doesn't need the same amount of food every day. Right. Some that you can do the exact same activity Monday as you do Tuesday and your caloric needs will be different Monday and Tuesday because it's a different day. You slept a different amount. Right. Your uh, anxiety stress levels are going to be different. Um, the temperature is going to be different. So you're going to expend a different amount of energy regulating your internal temperature. Um, you know, so all of these guides use what I would consider to be false precision to give people advice. They say, OK, on average, you're six feet, 180 you know, you have 10% body fat, so you're 162 pounds of lean mass. Therefore, the calculator says you need 2,400 calories a day. I'm just making this up. And the reality is like, yes, that's true if every day you live is the average day of everybody, which is not. No day is the same as the next day for you, and you are not the same as the average person. So I think a lot of the, a lot of the advice that's out there, you know, is really predicated around, around false premises. And I found that I've not only had better results on um, switching from an externally focused plan where I'm following the advice of someone else to more of an internally focused plan where I'm listening to what my body wants and I'm giving my body what it's asking for. So does this book not necessarily teach someone how to eat and work out, but rather teach them how to listen to their own body? Is that an accurate statement on how this book is formatted? Uh, a lot of it is just... Because for me, it would be like, well, how do I listen to my body properly? I'm, I, you know, I haven't, uh, uh, I'm not as good at at, you, at that uh, skill as right. you are. Yeah. So it talks about a few different things. Um, part of it, yes. 
So it talks about the things that need to be in place in order for you to listen to your own body, or at least in order for me to listen to my own body, because it's my story, right? I know everybody's different. Um, I haven't quite figured out if, you know, not everybody probably has the ability to listen to their body, you know, at the level that I've managed to listen to mine. I, I will assume that, right? But I also assume that, that I'm not that spectacular at listening to myself. And so uh, some other people probably could do it too. Um, so, you know, it discusses the, the frameworks that need to be in place in order for your signals to be accurate. So, you know, a few things that, that are most ideal in order for your hunger signals to work properly, um, in my experience, um, sleep an appropriate amount, can't, can't have crazy stress, anxiety levels, right? Um, you should be properly hydrated. Um, shouldn't be eating too much sugar and shouldn't be eating too much processed foods because any of these things will essentially make the intuition that you can have towards your own diet get totally thrown off. And so if you eat a ton of sugar, you're just going to crave sugar all the time. So if you eat a bunch of sugar and you're like, oh, I'm just going to listen to my body, you'll just find yourself eating a bunch of Skittles. So you can't do the plan in all likelihood if that's what you're doing. Um, if you're not sleeping, your body is physiologically stressed, you're probably going to um, eat in a way that is responsive to this stress. You know, most people eat more, some people eat less, but it's gonna, it, it will throw off your intuition. Um, for me, training intensely really, really forces my intuition to be proper, right? I've found that if I'm, if I'm getting in three to four intense workouts per week, I crave proteins, I crave steak, I crave um, you know, what, what are broadly considered to be muscle building foods. But if I'm resting, if I'm taking a deload week, if I'm skipping workouts um, you know, for a scheduled purpose, um, I end up craving more carbs and I end up craving more sweets. And obviously if I'm craving a lot of carbs and I'm craving a lot of sweets, um, those are going to pile up and those will eventually make me softer. And so I realized that if I'm going to follow a intuition based plan, um, you know, it's not a magic bullet. I need to have several things in place. I need to be training intensely, stress managed, sleep needs to be okay. Um, need to be eating real foods, not a ton of sugar. Um, and if those things are in place, I like what I can create for myself on an intuition-based plan more than what I think any registered dietitian could create for me on a strict caloric-based plan. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about <clears throat> the idea of overtraining and, and kind of like the marathon, uh, uh, 10K, what have you, culture of today where people are um, going to the gym and spending long hours there and still not getting the results that they originally desired. Uh, it seems like, you know, from reading your book uh, and understanding your story, you, and like you just said, you try to uh, work out for shorter periods of time, but more intensely. Why is that so much more valuable? And why are people being uh, led astray where they're on the treadmill and, and, and reading the, the calorie count on the treadmill and trusting that as the, as the gospel? Yeah, so I think a lot of this uh, traces its roots to the foundation of the calorie in, calorie out weight loss plans. Right where, um, you know, most trainers, most registered dietitians will tell you that if you want to lose weight, you need to be in a caloric deficit, meaning you need to burn more calories than you're eating. If you want to gain weight, you need to be in a caloric surplus, where you're eating more calories than you're burning. 
And, you know, I'm willing to believe that these things are true, right? I, I know that if I eat more, it's easier for me to gain weight. And if I eat less, it's harder for me to gain weight. So this is, uh, you know, there's, there's clearly strong elements of truth, you know, f- uh, from the premise. But what I think this is ignoring is the hormonal impact that your training has on you. And what I've found is that the, the less activity I do at higher intensity, the better my results are. So I used to run five miles every morning, uh, five days a week. So I used to run 25 miles a week at a sub eight minute pace. Um, and I was going by the uh, calories in, cal- calories out guidelines, right? Where if I'm running five miles, you know, it's gonna be about 700 calories that I'm burning. This is fasted, right? Empty stomach every morning, you know, um, five days a week. And I actually switched that up to where I started running faster and fewer miles. And I noticed immediately, like within three weeks of running fewer miles, but faster, I started shedding body fat. And according to the calorie in calorie out guidelines, that shouldn't happen because you don't burn more calories when you run a faster mile than a slower mile, right? Um, You know, your biomechanics are relatively similar, whether you're running at a seven minute pace versus an eight minute pace. Um, your distance covered is the same, your weight's the same. So you're burning the same amount of calories, right? But somehow I went from, you know, running five miles a day to run, you know, and having fairly consistent body type to running four miles a day, but faster and immediately shedding fat, right? And that was the only change that I was making with my training, with my diet, everything else was the same. And so that left me, you know, scratching my head thinking, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. That's not supposed to happen based on, um, you know, everything I've read. I'm a certified personal trainer. I studied the, the NASM um, programming uh, even before I was a certified personal trainer. That's a lot of the content that I'd familiarized myself with as a competitive athlete. And my personal experience just says, yeah, that's not true. That's not how my body responds. And I was talking to, uh, you know, my good friend Ryan Flaherty, whom I played, uh, played baseball with at Vanderbilt. Um, and you know, he's, uh, you know, on the, the tail end of his baseball career right now, he's spent seven years in the major leagues. And, uh, before it was either this season or before the last season, he was working on his speed and I was kind of telling him the, you know, different things that I was doing with my program. Um, you know, basically I take a lot of rest time in between repetitions, lifting, um, you know, anything that I do with intensity for the most part needs to be on you know, full rest. Otherwise I can't do it with the intensity that I want. And he said, Oh, that's really interesting. Um, I'm actually training with these Olympic sprinters, uh, in the off season. And I had assumed that their training would be very intense. He told me that the training session that he did with the Olympic athletes consisted of about 30 minutes of warm up, you know, skipping drills, a lot of stuff, which kind of makes sense. And then the entire workout he did with Olympic sprinters, was six 100 meter sprints with 10 minutes rest in between. And if you compare this to a Barry's boot camp, a soul cycle, you're like, I guarantee a fitness class, a CrossFit class, a soul cycle, Barry's boot camp is harder than running six 100 meter sprints with 10 minutes of rest in between. And so you look at, but you look at Olympic sprinters and you're like, well, how are these people not fat? right? Because if you sprint 100 meters six times, you'll burn like 50 calories. Like you don't burn calories 
running 600 meters, right? So somehow these guys are, you know, they're, they're performing a workout regimen that does not suggest they will be in a caloric deficit. Yet, if you see them all with their shirts off, they're totally ripped. And yes, is there a genetic component to this? Of course there's a genetic component to that. But that doesn't mean, I guarantee if you took those Olympic sprinters and you put them in a soul cycle class, you put them in a Barry's boot camp class and you took a body composition of them, you'd find that their body composition got worse from doing longer workouts. Longer workouts, right? You need intensity with your training. And that is what I think a lot of the um, you know, popular plans miss is they get the duration. You know, you can fit this fit your class into a, a 45 minute or 60 minute window, sweat a lot, burn a lot of calories, get a good pump in. You feel like you did something good, but the reality is if you're not pushing your productive capacity, if you're not forcing yourself to be able to run faster or lift heavier, your body it's won't change be, positively. Yeah, it's gonna be really hard for your body to get to to elicit the changes from your body that you want. Yeah. Um what are some of the biggest misconceptions, or not misconceptions, but uh, biggest struggles that people generally come to you with about, hey, it's really hard for me to get to the gym five days a week, or it's really hard for me to eat this type of uh, healthy food or avoid this type of junk food? Um, and and how do you, what kind of advice do you give to people that are really struggling to either get to the gym or eat healthy? Um, because that's kind of like the ultimate question here, how people... Uh, overcome that uh, inability to, to stick to something that's difficult? So I think baby steps is, is the key because if you told me six years ago I'd be doing the stuff I'm doing now, I'd be like, ah. It would seem a little daunting. Yeah, maybe, you know. But because I've taken baby steps on it, all the changes I've made are you know very simple. Oh, I'll just try to eat a little bit less sugar. You know, I'll still eat sugar, but I'll eat less sugar, see how that goes. Oh, I'll kind of like run my sprints a little bit faster, see how that goes. Um, and so I think the, the important thing is that fitness is a lifestyle. And so you're not going to, you're not going to just like work out really hard for three months and have the body that you want and then like not have to do anything with it. You need to consistently have inputs to force your body to be able to do the things you want it to do. And so if you hate running and you can't get to the gym, then you can still walk, right? Like I think especially if you're starting out uh, with the plan, I think a lot of trainers make the mistake of putting too much on their, their trainees plate in the beginning. You know, they crush them with workouts. The workout's really hard. You know, maybe they get some sort of bodily change in like a month, but it's just too much too fast. It's like, if you don't like your training plan, you're probably not going to stick with it very long. And so I think my, my ideal training plan for somebody who's, you know, not in the shape that they want to want to be in, is first develop the habit of dedicating time towards working on your body, right? An hour a day before you before you start working, do something, right? And if you're not in good shape, that something might just be walking. Like you might just walk, but get used to doing something and tracking it and trying to improve. Because if you go walk for an hour and say you say you walk three miles in one hour, but the next day you force yourself to walk 3.01 miles, then you force yourself to walk 3.02 miles, you can, you can get to the point where, you know, maybe you start your training plan, you can't even run one mile, but by the end of a year, you go from walking three miles to walking and jogging 3.1 miles to walking and jogging 3.3 miles to jogging and walking four miles, you know, and all, and, and, you know, you do that 
five days a week for a year and you'll find that you can actually run that distance by the end of it, right? It's just daunting if you try to do it right away because your body's going to reject everything yeah. that you're trying to make it do. So it seems like a big theme that you're uh, professing here is is baby steps when you're working out uh, and then to gain positive momentum when you're trying to, trying to change your diet. So if you uh, gradually cut out a lot of sugar, when you go to the movies, you're not going to have that uh, insatiable desire to, to buy uh, a king-size pack of Skittles because you've kind of weaned yourself off of it. Uh, but if you haven't weaned yourself off of it, you know, those Skittles are going to look really, really good and it's going to be hard to avoid it. But if you gain momentum uh, and are eating really healthy food and you get to a, to a point where you enjoy healthy food, then you're not even really going to have an urge to eat those unhealthy, sugary foods. Yeah, exactly. And I think the more I work with other people on, on these things, the more that I, I realize that a lot of junk food consumption is very similar to drug consumption. You know, people have, um, they build habits around, you know, getting that dopamine hit. They need that sugar. They need that, they need that pick me up to make them feel good. And people are using food as drugs. Well, guess what? If you're using food as a drug, you're going to get fat. That is the side effect of using food as a drug. There are many drugs you can use to make you feel good that do not have the side effect of making you fat. Sugar is not one of those drugs. And so, you know, I'm not a teetotaler, you know, advocating a, you know, drug-free lifestyle that has no fun in it. I'm saying be honest with yourself and yeah. I'm going to be honest with myself. Well, what do you think about the, uh, you know, the food industry, which, you know, over the last 20 years, you know, with uh, all these documentaries and, and news stories has been much maligned, I, I suppose. And people are more and more educated about food and what's going into your food. Um, their job you know, if you're Jack in the Box, their job is to make the food taste really good, and their mm -hmm. job is to make it at, as an affordable price, and their job is to cut corners so they can offer that food yep. uh, and have it taste good, and, and have it, you know some guy in a lab coat make a really good Taco Bell taco. Um, so you're 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 going up against some tough forces out there, people that are trying to sell you really good food, for, really tasty food for a low price, um, and I think people kind of just succumb to that that marketing push that they're, that they're up against. Yeah. I mean, the world is filled with drug dealers, right? And you know, I'm like the drug free kid in that respect. Right. Um, and I think that gets tiring for people though, fighting that tidal wave all the time. Well, you, I think you need to have other hobbies, right? So for me, I really like trying to improve my athleticism. It's just a hobby. Like I don't get yeah. paid money to play sports anymore. It's, literally it doesn't matter, right? Whether I can run a four, four forty or a five, four forty or a six, four forty, my income from that will be zero. doesn't matter. I just like the opportunity to force myself to improve because I feel like I'm, I'm doing the right thing in life as long as I'm continuing to get better at things. And the way I look at a lot of you know, interaction opportunities is it's either going to make you better or it's going to make you worse. What do you want? Do you want to get better or do you want to get worse? And if you consistently make decisions that are going to orient you towards getting worse, you will get worse. It's not a shocker. Um, that doesn't mean like I'm not eating pizza. It doesn't mean I'm not eating French fries. It doesn't mean I'm not eating ice cream. It just means I'm doing it, um, in situations where I can really, really, really enjoy those things. Um, I think a lot of people, they'll yo-yo about 
um, you know, what, what types of foods they don't want to eat or what types of trainings they want to do. And they go really hard for a few weeks and they stop because life gets stressful and then they've stopped for six weeks. And I think the reality is, you know, if you can figure out a, a balance where, okay, a couple times a month, I really want pizza, but it's only a couple times a month. I'm going to eat pizza those two times. But when pizza is just out there at a happy hour and I'm not really craving it, why would I use my bullet on that? Right. If I, if something is generally not good for me and it's abundantly available, I will only consume it when I really want it. Right. And that might mean I'm not going to eat the free pizza because it doesn't taste good or I'm not craving it. And three days later, I'll turn around and spend $30 on the pizza. Right. Economically, you could say, well, that's stupid. You just turned down free pizza and then you bought pizza that you need to pay for. But I'll say, yeah, but I didn't, my body didn't want it on Tuesday. It wanted it on Friday. So I wasn't getting anything out of eating it on Tuesday. I was just getting bodily damage. Whereas, you know, I was getting bodily damage for free, right? Imagine that Connor. Hey, I can harm your body and I won't even charge you for it. Like, okay, well, no thanks. Um, the other option is you can harm your body and pay for it in some capacity, but the benefit is you actually had a craving at that particular time that you're satiating, mm -hmm. right? So, so you're scratching a particular itch. It's, yeah. it's like a medicinal targeted, uh, targeted attack, right? You're having the amount that you need, not more. And so that in that way, I found I can constrain my consumption of things that are generally recognized to be not good, um, but be just as happy, probably happier. So, um, Talk to me more about your Instagram site, which, you know, I'll, uh, I'll link up to this podcast and, and make sure the listeners can find that, uh, and they can follow your eating habits and, and your, in your cooking, uh, expertise. Um, what are some of the misconceptions about food that you're really passionate about? It seems like you want to show the world that the food that you eat is very tasty, um, in, in some regards, very gluttonous. Um, you're, you're, you're trying to eat like a king, if you will, and showing yes. that when you eat like that, uh, it's also healthy. Um, but it's kind of, uh, counterintuitive to the, to the typical person. So talk more about what types of foods you're eating, uh, and why they're healthy, actually healthy and not yeah. unhealthy as, as opposed to conventional wisdom. Yeah. So I, I named both my, uh, Twitter and Instagram sustain gluttony. Um, it's at sustain gluttony on Twitter at sustain dot gluttony G O U T T O N Y on Instagram. And the reason I chose those, uh, those handles was my, my diet and training plan actually just started as an eating plan. I just really, really like to eat. Uh, I love food. I love delicious food. I like cooking food, I like eating food, I like cooking food for other people. Um, and I've always eaten like an athlete, right? So growing up, you know, because I was 165 pounds when I got recruited to play in college, coaches were wanting me to eat more, just like they want most players they recruit to eat more. So I always had uh, a diet and training approach that was oriented around eating a lot of food and then lifting heavy weights and running a lot. And, you know, I think a lot of people who don't have that athletic background will default to the traditional calories in, calories out oh, I wanna get rid of my belly fat, so I need to be in a caloric, caloric deficit. So my maintenance calories are 1,800, but if I'm in a caloric deficit to 1,500, then I will uh, be down 2,100 calories in a week, 
which is like two thirds of a pound. So, you know, in 12 weeks, I'll lose eight pounds. It's like, I mean, yeah, maybe, but my approach is completely different. So let me, let me uh, cut you off really quick here to understand this. So you're saying some people say I'm going to lose weight or get a, a better body, if you will. Um, by not necessarily working out very much or very intensely, I'm simply going to eat a lot of salads at lunch at work. And you're saying that plan will simply not pay off. It won't work. It won't be enough to not work out very much and also eat a lot of salads. Instead, what you're saying is you need to work out for a short amount of time each day, but intensely. And then you need to eat food that will make your next workout go even better. Um, so that food can come across as gluttonous, whether it be, you know, uh, prawns or uh, T-bone steaks or what have you. There's, you have to work out intensely. That's kind of unavoidable, I guess you're saying. And then when you do that, you have the opportunity to eat a lot of gluttonous foods, which is actually simultaneously making you uh, more healthy for the next intense workout. Yeah, I would say that's mostly um, <clears throat> aligned with, with my message. I think Look, there's nothing wrong with eating salads um, for the most part. That is, if you're eating a healthy salad. Most people, most of the salads people eat are not healthy because of the dressings that they put on it, though they don't realize it, are loaded with sugar and loaded with bad oils, right? So most people will go on a diet and they'll think, oh, I'm going to eat chicken salads. And like, all right, well, what's in the chicken salad? It's like, well, it's got this broiled chicken salad and, it, it, you know, I got an Italian dressing. It's like, okay, so what's the Italian dressing made out of? Uh, well, I don't know. I got it from Whole Foods. Like, okay, but like, what does the label say? Like, oh, it's like expeller pressed canola oil, uh, some soybean oil, um, sugar. It's like, okay, those are all things that you don't want to eat. Um, all of those things will not are not aligned with the bodily goals that you have, but you think you're doing something good because you're eating salads. And what's really interesting is most people when they meet me um, think I eat a lot of chicken salads because the the stereotype of people who are, who are lean and in shape is that they eat a lot of salads. It's like, I mean, I eat a couple salads a week. I don't not eat salads, but uh, my diet is certainly not oriented around salads, right? Um, I don't follow the calories in, calories out mindset. What I follow is a, you know, eat well, train hard mindset. I cannot train hard if I'm not eating well, right? So I'm eating three to 4,000 calories a day so I can run fast and lift heavy, right? Because if I can't run fast and lift heavy, I will not have the physique that I have. I will not sit at 4% body fat year round if I can't lift heavy and run fast. If I don't eat a lot, I will not be able to lift heavy and run fast. So I need to eat a lot in order to sustain my physique. Um, that doesn't mean I'm eating indiscriminately. That doesn't mean I'm eating cupcakes yeah. all the time. That doesn't mean I'm eating, um, you know, barbecue food all the time. It doesn't mean like I, I am careful in the selection of the foods that I select. It's just that a lot of the foods I select are stereotypically assumed to be bad and they're not bad for my, for my program, right? People think, oh, pizza's like uh, fried chicken's unhealthy, pizza's unhealthy. It's like, yeah, most of the time that's true, but it depends what's in it, right? Like, why is fried chicken bad? Oh, because the oils are bad. Like, okay, what oils? Are you cooking the fried chicken or is Popeye's, right? Or is KFC, right? Because if Popeye's or KFC is cooking it, yeah, it's going to be cooked in canola oil or peanut oil or, um, or soybean oil. All these oils I don't eat by, yeah. by choice. 
you cook it on your own, you cook, you choose your own oil. And if you choose your own oil, you can replace the things that I think will do the most damage with stuff that doesn't. Like, so if I eat fried chicken, it's coconut oil or avocado oil, some potato starch or breadcrumbs and chicken. All of those food groups or, or, or all of those um, items items are fine. Yeah. Like those are not unhealthy things to eat. Yeah, we're on, we're, when we're on that topic, what about after you you do your workout and you train hard and then you if you found yourself at McDonald's uh, in, in, in the drive-thru, which maybe you would never find yourself at, but I would find myself there from time to time, and you order a chicken sandwich, um, it sounds like that's actually not that bad. If you've just finished a workout and you're eating a chicken sandwich, yes, obviously it's not cooked with the finest ingredients, but um, it's still uh, eating chicken. It's not like you're eating a uh, tub of ice cream or um, you know half a half a container of red licorice. Um, so, you know, even when you're at McDonald's, it's not, it's not that bad of a thing if it's, uh, or maybe you don't agree, where, where do you stand on those foods that are popularly described as, oh my God, you can't eat that. Um, can you eat some of those foods? I think I could eat McDonald's every meal of the day for a month and not gain fat. Um, Explain I'm, that to me. So most restaurants have even fast food restaurants have a couple items that are maybe not the most ideal things to eat, but like they're also not horrendous. Now, if I give got, me some examples so, of that, so you can get grilled chicken at McDonald's. You can get uh, you can get a burger patty um, at McDonald's. Now, I, I haven't looked at the ingredients within a burger patty, but if their burger patties are beef, yeah, right, and their chicken is chicken, right. You're eating. Now it's not it's not uh, you know uh, cage free that's for sure but you're saying it doesn't really matter too much. I mean it it probably does matter in some capacity yeah. but but in my mind if I'm eating meat it's probably okay. Now I don't like the the preparation me uh, methods that will have a lot of fast food restaurants will have so they're probably going to put it on a on a grill and on that grill they're going to use some sort of vegetable oil that I don't want to put in my body. Um, Granted, you know, grilling, grilling the chicken's better than having it deep fried. Cause if you deep fried, it's going to get a lot more of that bad oil than if you just grill it. But, um, you know, I think the, the challenge for, for most people going to these fast food restaurants is they just don't want to get the bland food. You know, like the bland food doesn't taste as good. Yeah. So they get the McFlurry and the McFlurry, you get the chicken nuggets, you get the fried chicken. Cause guess what? That tastes better than the grilled chicken. Yeah. And so... You know, the one thing that I preach in my book, I tell other people, is spices make bland, healthy food taste good, right? If you've never cooked for yourself, you don't realize that you don't need to deep fry it to make it taste good. You don't need to dunk it in butter for it to taste good, right? Salt makes meat taste really good. Salt and pepper make meat taste really good. Salt, pepper, and mustard make meat taste really good. Garlic added to anything makes it taste good. And so for me, if I had to eat a diet of McDonald's, right, what I would just end up doing is I would just eat a lot of burger patties and grilled chicken. And I would bring a lot of salt and I would bring a lot of pepper and I would bring a lot of garlic and I would bring a lot of mustard. And it would just be like a meat-based diet. You know, I don't, I'm not a carnivore. I don't only eat meat, 
but there are carnivore keto type principles that I will follow where I, I generally try to restrict the carbs that I consume. Um, and I generally think that eating a lot of meat is safe and it certainly does align with my physique goals. Um, talk more about, uh, some of the items that you really like to eat. Um, so I know I don't want to give away all the secrets of your, of your short book. Um, but with that in mind, take us through some general breakfast foods, some general lunch foods, some general traditional dinner foods that you, uh, that, that, that are kind of the cornerstones of your diet and tell us, do you, uh, try to have a simple diet where you eat a lot of the same foods because you can kind of control something that's simple and repetitive or do you try to make it really diverse in order to make it easier to stay on a, a healthy strict diet? Um, my diet will typically have the same foods over and over again because I really like them, right? Um, if I find um, a good combination of healthy ingredients that I think makes for a really tasty food, um, that's great. That's like a diamond in the rough. I want to hold on to that. And I'm going to go back to that over and over and over yeah. again. So what are some breakfast foods that um, you think are great for people? Like just throw out some that, that you find yourself eating that maybe are underrated, uh, but in actuality are really, really beneficial. So for me personally, and I can speak to my own experience, I'm not a registered dietitian, so I'm not legally allowed to give other people diet advice, but um, I eat a lot of whole eggs. I eat a lot of bacon, uncured bacon, but I eat a lot of bacon. Um, my breakfast will typically rotate between eggs and bacon or fried chicken and waffles. Um, and, but I'm not just getting like fried chicken and waffles from Popeye's. Like it's, it's a very specific kind of fried chicken and waffles. Um, the waffles are going to be made with a low carb mix. It's either going to be an almond flour or coconut flour mix. So I'm getting a lot fewer carbs eating these waffles than most people are. I'm having real maple syrup with them and only a little bit. I'm not having, so most people when they eat maple syrup is not even maple syrup. Aunt Jemima's syrup is corn syrup. Most of the cheap syrups that people get from stores are not maple syrup. That stuff's terrible, right? For me, if I'm eating chicken and waffles, it's a low carb waffle, which actually tastes the same or really better if, you, if you're used to eating that, than the high carb waffles or normal waffles. You're eating healthier, uh, maple syrup than most people are eating. And the chicken, the fried chicken that I'm eating is either going to be air fried in coconut oil. So you're going to be using less coconut oil and it's coconut oil. It's not canola oil or soybean oil, or they're going to be pan, lightly pan fried in avocado oil. So again, you're taking a, a meal that is normally considered to be not a diet meal. But if you just tweak the ingredients, if I tweak the ingredients, it aligns with my goals. So that's kind of a normal breakfast. I'm either going to have bacon and eggs. Protein. Protein. Very protein dominant. Chicken, fried pork, chicken. chicken pork, and bread. Yeah. Um, for lunch, I will commonly have uh, burger patties. You know, I find this, I cook a lot at work. Um, we have a toaster oven at my office, so it's great. I can walk across the street to the uh, ferry building. The ferry building, there's a meat market. I can just buy some lamb patties, burger patties, bone marrow. Um, I can just put it in a tray and cook it in my toaster oven for 20 minutes. And, and then it's done, right? I can put a bunch of salt and mustard on that and it tastes great. Uh, if I wanna put some broccoli on that, I can eat that too. Um, and so I'm not getting my burgers from McDonald's, though I wouldn't be opposed to that if that was my only choice. Um, I'm, I'm getting cleaner meat. You know, it's like pure meat. It's not meat cooked in bad vegetable oil. 
I'm essentially baking it and I'm using the hacks that I learned where I realized, oh, if I just put some garlic and salt mustard on this, it tastes great. I'm going to eat that. Um, so that's pretty common for, for lunch for me. I'll, I'll have a little bit of a sweet snack because, you know, I want, I want to get a little bit of sugar in me. So I'll have like maybe a rice cake with um, almond butter and a little bit of maple syrup or honey uh, as my dessert. You know, just a little bit, nothing crazy. Um, but, you know, enough to keep me smiling or maybe hue chocolate. You know, there's there's some really good vegan chocolates out there that you know, I'm, I'm the furthest thing from a vegan for most of my most of my diet choices. But I do like vegan chocolate. Um, it tends to have cleaner ingredients in my view and it tastes really good. So there's a brand hue chocolate, human chocolate. I really like their mint mint chocolate bars, kind of expensive, but I don't eat a lot of it. So it's just like, you know, it's like a dollar if I eat a couple squares. Um, so I'll have that for lunch. And then for dinner, I'll commonly have either, you know, like a, a 16 ounce New York strip, um, which is a, a lean or mid lean type steak uh, cut, or I will have homemade pizzas. I eat pizza like 10 times a month. And, you know, a lot of people think that's weird because, you know, I have low body fat and I eat pizza all the time. But when you realize that food is no more than the ingredients that's in it, you're like, okay, so what is pizza? Pizza is bread, cheese, and toppings and tomato sauce. It's like, okay, so how can I hack a pizza, right? Well, the bread, I don't want to eat all of that bread because I try to restrict my carbs. So what if I eat thin crust? Thin crust is good. How thin can I get it? Well, if I cook it at home, I can cook a pizza on a tortilla and it tastes really good. So like, why don't I just do that? Um, so I cook a lot of, I get these uh, brown rice tortillas from Trader Joe's and I bake them. You cook, you cook pizza 20 minutes, toaster oven, regular oven, tastes great. Um, well, then you have pizza sauce. Problem with a lot of pizza sauce is there's a lot of added sugar. Sometimes there's added bad oil. So I just get like pure tomato paste. It's like, it's just ground up tomatoes. That's all it is. I use that as a tomato sauce, pour a bunch of salt on it. There's no added sugar, no bad oils. Use that as my sauce base. And then, then it's a question of cheese and toppings. Well, cheese is the calorically dense part of a pizza, right? So if you want to like gain a lot of weight, eat a lot of cheese. But if you want to have it, you know, not in a way that's going to necessarily tilt you towards weight gain, if like I put a lot of seafood on my, on my pizza, I get a bunch of shrimp, mussels, calamari, saute that up, throw that on the, uh, the flatbread tortilla, bake it for 20 minutes, throw some um, Parmesan cheese on it, and it tastes awesome. Sometimes I'll put regular mozzarella cheese on it, but it's like, it is very far from a Domino's pizza. It tastes better and it has lower bodily, bodily impact. To the point where I, I'm literally eating 10 of them a month, like 10, 10 dinners a month, I'm eating pizza. And, um, you know, people don't realize that these things are possible um, and in accordance with a plan that can allow at least me to continue to make progress in my fitness. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it sounds like the, the food industry, food and restaurant industry really uh, is throwing America for a loop here because uh, almost every one of these items uh, if eaten in a restaurant or if eaten at a fast food restaurant could be very detrimental. Uh, if you, if you cook it on your own and study what the ingredients are, which you've done for, for your readers, uh, you've done the legwork there of what, what's good and what's bad. Um, you know, it could, you, you could enjoy it and it could be fine. <clears throat> and then talk a little bit about your, your workout schedule, because obviously none of this would be possible unless you were working out, um, as you do. Um, so, you know, how many hours a week are you working out and, uh, what are some basic things that you're, um, making sure that you're doing when you work out? 
Yeah, so I like training, right? I, I enjoy going to the gym. I enjoy pushing my limits. So, you know, I'm probably training for about seven hours a week. Um, that tends to be about a couple hours a session, and I go every other day, you know, to, to push myself. So there's many days where you just do not work out at all? I'll do mobility stuff, you know, because I small injuries here and there that I want to get better. But Meaning like stretching? Yeah, but I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not like running or lifting weights every day. And yeah. you shouldn't because you can't recover if you're doing it every day. Yeah. You'll get worse. You'll get injured eventually if you do that, if you try to do it every day. Um, and, you know, do I think that that's required to be in good shape? No, I think I could probably get away with doing half of that and I'd be fine. Um, the key is intensity, right? Most people, they go to the gym to get a session over with. That's not why I'm there. I'm there to get better, right? I need to get better. Um, and, you, and you're trying to get 1% better each time. Yeah, every, yeah. Time, I, every time I train... For the most part, I'm just trying to get a little bit better than my last session, right? It doesn't need to be substantially better, but if I can force myself to get 1% better every week, at the end of the year, I'm a lot better than at the start of the year. And once you realize that this is a long game, like you're not going to have the body you want tomorrow. I'm not going to have, I'm not going to hit all my fitness goals tomorrow. And I still have goals, right? Despite the fact that, you know, I have low body fat. and Yeah, you've reached a lot of them. Yeah, and like, you know, I have good lifting numbers and running numbers and whatever. It's like, no, I, I want to get better. Like, I like getting better. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the key is I enjoy it. I, I like pushing myself. Um, I, I It's an art that it's like I would like to figure out a way to lift more weight off of the ground, right, or squat more weight. It's, it's, like, it's like a fun hobby to me. Um, and it's great that this fun hobby actually happens to align with physique goals that are rewarded in most societies, including ours. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think... Yeah, so that so what you're kind of describing is you're making sure you're writing down what you did that day and what, what your numbers are. You're not just saying, oh, you know, I, I, I clocked in my hour and that was good enough. You're, you're being honest with yourself, not only with your food, but you're being honest with yourself about how you lift and how you run and writing it down and saying, I got to make sure that I improve a little bit uh, this next time and if I don't that's a problem uh, and then then that's when you look back at the diet and say was was my diet uh, helping me uh, be ready to do that workout or was yeah. it hindering me yeah I mean and basically you know if you're not getting better at your workouts something's probably off you know, maybe you're not resting enough maybe you're not trying hard enough maybe you're not eating enough um, you should get better uh, you know progressively and so um yeah, like anytime that there's a, uh, you know, long period of plateau, lag, you know, if I can't, if I don't know why, like uh, you know, I'm not injured, I'm just like I'm trying and like nothing's going the way I want it to go, you know, it's a, it's a learning opportunity. It means like, okay, like what do I need to do differently? Do I need to rest? Do I need to work harder? Do I need to work less hard? For me, it's usually less hard. I usually need to get more rest. Sometimes I, I don't. Sometimes I just need to do a different program. But um you know, it's like a, it's a diagnostic game. It's like, okay, like how can I hack my body and figure out how I can do a little bit better? Um, yeah. And so it's like, I've just gamified fitness. It's like, it's, I don't get most people who are really lean bodybuilder lean, you know, they get burned out. It's like, Oh God, I don't know. I got to go through another diet. I got to go through another cutting phase. I got to go through prep. Like, I don't do any of that. You know, I had a fitness shoot for the cover of my ebook. I don't know. I don't like know how to prep for a, for a fitness shoot, right? Most people like, oh, I gotta go, 
you know, you take this um, diuretic so I can like make my skin thinner and then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go through a, um, calor- a heavy caloric deficit for two weeks. Like, I don't know how to do any of that. I just know how to eat and train hard. And it just so happens that like eating a lot of protein oriented food and training hard has given me a physique where I can just like walk into a photo shoot and look like I prepared specifically for that photo shoot, even though I didn't. Um, so yeah, I just think there's, there's so many opportunities for people to, uh, get results more easily. The challenge is, uh, those in the, the fitness and food space who have billions of dollars of profits to be made in perpetuating certain myths, um, they're not going to stop, right? The things that work well tend to not be that expensive. Yeah. I think that's a, a great point of a big theme of this, of this talk. Yeah. So uh, tell me more about well, that. I think a lot of the reason people think that you need to do X, Y, and Z to be in shape is because that's what ads and the media tell you. But if you actually talk to the people who are in the best shape, they don't do these things, right? Most most They're not go in the GNC all the time. Yeah, you know, like I understand if you want to be a professional bodybuilder, how you know, okay, like yeah, you want to take supplements to get that extra one percent, two percent, like sure, fine. Supplements will get you like five percent better. Right. So if, but your goal is to get uh, 12% better over the course of the year. No, I understand. Yeah. So if you're fully optimized for everything, like, yeah, supplements taken appropriately should help you. Right. But we're talking about pennies compared to dollars, right? Um, eating real food and, and doing core lifts with intensity and core conditioning with intensity will get you dollars. Taking the right supplements will get you pennies. Now, if you want to build the most wealth, yeah, both, right? But your mind should be on building, on getting the dollars, not the pennies. Um, and so that's what, but, but all the money's in the pennies, right? Because you can sell the pennies for dollars, right? Um, and so GNC, um, all the fitness magazines, um, you know, they thrive on the supplement industry because people Oh, I got to take my pre-workout. I got to take my, my protein shake after I lift, you know, I take protein shakes sometimes, but, um, I don't, but mostly you get your protein from salmon or something food. Yeah. You know, I'll probably eat 180 grams of protein a day. Some days more, some days less, you know, maybe I'll have 20 grams from from a protein shake. Like sometimes I do take them before I, I take them before I run, um, just to, to stave off, um, you know, using muscle as a, a fuel to power my running. But, um, I don't, I don't think they're necessary. I only started taking them about a year ago. Um, you know, so I made a lot of progress taking no supplements, just like multivitamins, stuff like that. Um, but that's not a profitable message, right? So if I told you eat when you're hung, eat real food when you're hungry, run fast and get good at four lifting exercises, Here's what you don't need. You don't need to go to GNC. You don't need to go to, uh, you don't need to have a CrossFit membership. You don't need to have a SoulCycle membership. Um, you don't need to, uh, you know, be, be going to really expensive restaurants. You don't need to go to weight loss clinics. So nobody's making money off of what I'm preaching, right? Well, guess what? There's not gonna be that many people who are preaching that because there's not that much money to be made in it. Um, flip side is it works, right? And so, you know, that's why it's a huge hobby of mine where it's like I've kind of stumbled across a really good combination that keeps me excited to train, excited to eat. Um, I never feel deprived. I always eat food when I'm craving it. Um, 
you know, I don't, I, I don't want to eat donuts that frequently, but every time I do want to, I crave a donut, I will have one. Um, it's probably like twice a year because I've, I've trained my palate to prefer healthier foods. Um, but I'm not living a life of deprivation. I, I don't think that there are, I'd be very surprised if there's that many people in the world who enjoy their food more than me. Um, everything that I've done is oriented around maximizing my food enjoyment. Um, where can you buy this book? Uh, and you know, if you want to get your hands on it, um, yeah, tell, tell us more about, uh, where you can buy the book. Is it, is it only online or? Yeah, buy it, uh, buy it online. Follow me on Twitter uh, at sustain gluttony. I'll be tweeting out links to buy it right now. It's just through Gumroad, which is a a site where you can sell eBooks. Um, I'm putting up a website, bigplatetraining.com. That's not up. That's not live now, but it'll be live next month. Um, where you should be able to buy the ebook there too. Um, follow me on Twitter. I'll be tweeting out a bunch of links. You know, over the coming weeks, we'll be running sales. Um, a bunch of my affiliates are going to be running running sales as well. Um, yeah, I just want to get the word out. Um, if you have any questions, my direct messages are, are open. I like interacting with followers. I like sharing, you know, whatever knowledge that I possibly can pass on. Um, I'm more than happy to. Um, this is fun for me. Okay, Alex. Uh, well, we're kind of up against it as far as time goes, but thank you so much for coming on the Section 925 Pod Center again. And this is your host, Connor Bustead. We're signing off. Make sure to go ahead and pick up Alex's book, his his uh, his first stab at a book. It's a great read, very short, tons of knowledge, tons of uh, great information in there. Ten Easy Wins for Easier Fat Loss by Alex Feinberg. Thanks, Connor. Thanks for coming on the show. Stay.